0: Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam and I'm Caitlin. This episode I thought I'd do something a wee bit different and stick with the theme of Halloween since it is October. So I'm going to tell you a couple of short crimes that happened on or around Halloween time in the UK throughout the years. Okay, Caitlin, you may have heard of these. However, I'll say probably not, but you never know because you do know more of them than me. Um, but I'll just begin because you don't actually know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> um, so the first one I would like to tell you about is the disappearance of 20-year-old Sean Ritchie. Did that name ring a bell at all? Yes. I want to say I know that name, but I could be totally wrong. You might start talking about it and I'm like, oh, no, no. -hmm. So on Friday the 31st of October into Saturday the 1st of November 2014, Sean Ritchie travelled in a white van with a small group of friends on the A981 to a remote farmhouse in the Greenburn area near Stricken, which is in Scotland. He vanished without a trace from the woodland near the now, I can pronounce this wrong, but it's Kersey Hill Farm. So Sean had been at home that day in Fraserburgh with his family. And then he visited, uh, it's a convenience store, corner shop, you know, just one of those small stores that are in your area that you can get like bread and milk and things. But he was just picking up things probably for a Halloween party that he was away to that night. So once he went to the shop, he then left with his friends. And that was in the van. Later though on the November 1st two emergency calls were made to the police from the Greenburn area. One requesting help and the second cancelling the request for help. Now who exactly these calls came from is unclear. It was one of the largest coordinated missing persons investigations in Scottish history. So after there was a huge search, only his shoes, hooded top, and belt were found. But Sean has not been seen since, even to this day. Now medical experts believe he may have become disorientated in freezing conditions and stumbled into a bog. But no remains had been recovered after years of searching. So what really happened to Sean? There's possibilities that it was murder. Hypothermia, possible overdose or something more sinister. Who knows? Nobody does. Now, extensive and detailed searches were conducted with the assistance from every specialist, air, land and water resource. With more than 200 officers covering more more than fifteen miles of ditches, rough terrain and large water areas. Police also used forensic soil scientists and geoscientists. The searches were conducted with the help of the Grampian mountain rescue team, the Aberdeen, Tayside and RAF Kinloss mountain rescue teams, a dive and marine unit, a dog unit and Police Scotland air support. Yet there was still nothing. Now a patch of neighbouring woodland took here's hill farmhouse comprised of rowan, ash and spruce trees, was heavily searched during the initial investigation. But again, no sign of Sean. Now, at the time of his disappearance, he was wearing grey jeans, a white t-shirt and a grey hooded top. So what happened was the family enlisted the help of the Glasgow group canine, Canine Search and Recovery and its human remains detection dog. But this was in 2015. However, the Spaniels failed to pick up any sense of Sean. But we'll go back to 2014. Five days after Sean was last seen, so on the 6th of November 2014, that's when the specialist search teams recovered the items of clothing. So it was his shoes, hooded top and belt. So I've just said all of that, you know, mountain rescue, dogs, everything only things they found were those three items. Now in 2016 I read that Sean's mother was actually charged with wasting police time so she believes that her son was harmed and um, she even called in a psychic to visit the site you know just to search and see if they could sense anything you know that sort of thing but the police were just like you're wasting our time so she was Apparently charged. Now, there was nothing else on that, so I couldn't get any more information. Now, Sean's dad, Charlie, was at the time of his disappearance, he was working in Saudi Arabia. Now, he thinks that his son was possibly killed over a debt. He said that to Police Scotland, but again, there's no other information on that. Now, a review by the major investigation team in Glasgow. Of the work Police Scotland done included a review of forensic work and search activity, activity carried out as part of the investigation and Detective Chief Inspector Fenella McPhail, she oversees inquiries. she said, we fully appreciate how hard it must be for Sean's family with another year passing, so this was a um, back in 2016, since his appear- disappearance and my thoughts are with them at this difficult time. Our inquiry into Sean's disappearance remains one of the largest ever missing person operations in the history of Police Scotland. Again, there is nothing. Chief Inspector Stuart Drummond said, um, I believe this was possibly in 2019, 2020. To date, these reviews have all concluded that this remains a missing person inquiry and there is no evidence to suggest that Sean has been the victim of any crime. We will, however, continue to keep an open mind and I can provide every assurance that we will act on any new information provided to us. So a quick time scale of the events that I've just read out. So on the 31st of October, he was last seen by his mum. He went to the shops in Fraserburgh and then in the van, he went to the farmhouse for a Halloween party. Now on the Second of November, he was reported missing at eight forty five PM. So that was a Sunday evening. Now on the first as well, you've got those two um, phone calls to the police. Nothing there. The sixth of November, they find the items of his clothing. That is literally the timescale of events. What's that noise? Very sorry, there's fireworks going on in the back. So apologies for the like absolute bombing. All right, I didn't it. realize you I could so it. I was so confused. I was like, is there a fight going on fight or out? Well there could be, but no, it Carry was fireworks. On. Um so anyway. That's literally the timescale of events, apart from the fact that everyone's been searching ever since. Now, I said in 2015, the farmhouse where he actually went missing, that was put up for sale. And that was literally it. Nobody knows what happened to Sean or nobody is saying or coming forward and saying what happened to Sean after he left Fraserborough and went to that party. So why was only his shoes... And his belt and top found where else? Like, where's his remains, or where has he gone? And also, this was 2014. So it wasn't, you know, back in the day where you could just kind of like disappear. That th- that can't happen nowadays, or at least I don't think it can. Who knows? Um, there's just no further information on where Sean could be. There's not even been a body found, there's no further evidence, there's literally nothing but his. Family to this day continue their search, and that was all I have on the disappearance of Sean Ritchie. Mm. Like that one. So it's a it's a short one, but it's crazy. Like c- completely people just like completely go missing, and yeah, there's nothing heard from that. It freaks me out. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how it happens. Um. But I'll move on and I'm going to take us back a few years into the 1960s. So I'll tell you about the murder of 70-year-old Catherine Lillian Armstrong. So another one, it's a brutal crime um, and it sparked the biggest murder probe 1960s Tyneside had seen. So I am down south, kind of, just cross border, really, in Newcastle. Now, detectives were brought in for this crime. From London. But the person who killed retired school teacher Catherine Armstrong in well on the thirty first of October in her home still to this day remains a mystery. The killer has not been found. So um sorry, Catherine Armstrong was 70 years old. She was a devout Methodist. She was found battered to death at her home in Goldspink Lane in Sandiford at 10.50 a.m. on the 1st of November 1963. So police were alerted after her cousin Ada Ridley called at the property and saw the curtains had remained drawn. There was no answer and, and she kept knocking and knocking at the door. So a police sergeant came, you know, to do a welfare check entered the house and found Miss Armstrong's lifeless body, dressed in her dress and slippers. She had been stabbed round the face and head 28 times. She had nylon stockings tied around her neck and wounds on her hands suggested she had put up quite a fight. Now, Catherine Armstrong, she was, well, what they called back in then, you know, a spinster. She lived alone, she hadn't married... This was She was an independent woman, so it you there was no one, you know, you can't be like, oh, it was the husband, oh, it was this, it was that. So there was just nobody that you would think. Within hours of making this discovery, officers were re- requested help from detectives at London's Scotland Yard. So this was huge. This was a big thing happening in Newcastle at the time. The chief Con- constable made arrangements for a Deputy Superintendent Eric Reid of the Yard's murder squad to travel to Tyneside that day, you know, to get things sorted. Now, Catherine Armstrong, she was retired. She was a headmaster at the junior school. She had been a regular churchgoer. She sang in the choir. Um, You know, she was a general, just usual kind of semi year old person. She had been doing the same thing in the church for over 40 years. Now, detectives, they focused firstly on trying to piece together What happened in the last 16 hours of her life? Now, she was last seen alive by two children who saw her looking out of her window at around 6.30pm on Thursday, the 31st of October. Now At that time, she had been due to attend a choir meeting an hour later, but she failed to turn up, which was strange considering she's practically been doing it for 40 years. There was no murder weapon. That was still missing. So officers searched drains, pipes, bins, everything, but there was nothing there. They also checked over the house, as you would do. There was no sign of forced entry to the house. So did she know her killer? Possibly. Now, her cousin, Ada, believed that her cousin, Catherine, had been killed by teenagers who had entered her home as a prank before being disturbed. Now, she said that she begged for years, she had begged Catherine to leave her home because it was too large for one person just to move closer to the family. But like I said earlier, she was a very independent woman and she wasn't afraid of living alone. And also, why on earth would teenagers come in and do something like that to someone just for fun? Now, The police did did say, we'll look into the teens, you know, it could be linked. But there was nothing, there was nothing to link them. They also revealed that they read loads of files of men who were released from prison at that time after serving sentences for violence against older women. So this brought up a man from South Shields who had been the prime suspect in the unsolved murder of 71-year-old Amy Barrett and she was found battered to death in Churchill Street, which was off of Newcastle's Scotswood Road, which was just a year earlier. However, connections to this murder were completely ruled out. Now, by the 4th of November, three days after her body was found, extra officers were drafted in to work on the murder hunt and attempt to find the weapon. And nothing was found. So by this time, Officers had taken around 200 statements from members of the public, yet they still had no suspects or even a motive for the killing. So what happened was they set up a base just in that area, you know, what they usually do for these kind of crimes and so that they can put everything together, take all the statements and, you know, everything like that. So the police had planned to question more than 5,000 people, house-to-house inquiries, you know, throughout the whole of the area, again, nothing found. But even with a prepared questionnaire, you know, just passing them out to people, again, nothing. So, a month later, the team of 50 detectives, they were still spending 18 hours a day working on this case. And by January 1964, 16,000 local people had been interviewed. But there was still literally nothing. Now, to this day, the murder remains unsolved. And it's still possible, you know, that Catherine Armstrong's killer is alive. We don't know because we don't know who it was. Now, I read as well that on this article... It's um it asked someone if modern day detectives, you know, could they now do it, or if it was, you know, if we had everything nowadays that we did, like if we had everything back then that we do nowadays, could it have been an easy kind of find? So um police detective in Northumbria, um, they took a look at the case and it was a former DCI Nigel Wilkinson. So he was had 30 years' experience as a police officer. And he said that if this had happened now, we would have had a lot of new and different lines of inquiry than they had back then. I would definitely say, though, that the greatest chance of solving this case lies in forensics. But in those days, all they had to go on was blood groups. There was no DNA. Because remember, I think, did that not come in? in the, was it 70s or 80s? I think. I can't really remember. So, yeah. Had I'm nothing. sure that was the 80s. I think yeah. it was like getting developed over 70s, but I'm sure it was 80s, I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I think you're completely right because in the 70s, oh, Rife was serial killers and everything like that. Um, so yeah, all they had was the blood group, no DNA. So he goes on to say, this was a frenzied attack, so there must have been blood all over the house. But it's possible not all of that blood is the victims. Miss Armstrong had defence wounds, which is very significant. She clearly put up a fight and it is possible she caused her attacker to bleed. Blood swabs could have been taken. If they had been preserved, you might be able to get the killer's DNA from them now. The problem is, if there is blood scattered all over the place, you can't take samples of every single spot. And Back then, they would have had no idea what was coming in terms of forensic science. These days, there would also be a forensic examination of the stockings where the, murder would have hel- where the murderer would have held them, but back in the day, nothing would have been taken like that. And do they still have it in storage? Can they, t- can they take DNA off of that? Really? Probably not. So that's the story of Catherine Armstrong, another one, brutal murder, but unsolved this day. Now I know we only stick to the UK so Caitlin you can tell me to stop but I read these two really they're so small okay tiny articles about crimes and they happened at Halloween in America so bear with me and I thought I would share them because it's kind of hard to believe they're true because both killings relate to sweets or candy, whatever they call them, one way or another. Now, obviously... Are they definitely true? Have you checked your resources? I have. I have checked them. Okay. And we know that when it comes to murder, crimes, serial killers, America, personally, really, it's the number one place. So this is why I came across this. Because it's really hard to find kind of specific things in the UK. Well, you know, my research is a bit poor, but yeah. Anyway, they are really small. Okay, so this one was a row over a missing bag of sweets. Okay, now I'll just read it how it was read. You could forgive a five-year-old becoming enraged after losing a bag of trick-or-treating sweets and throwing a tantrum. But a 55-year-old? Ledell Peoples lost his cool on Halloween night in 2011 in a domestic disturbance in Chicago's South Side that turned very ugly. Not able to track down his bag of Hershey's, Jolly Ranchers, and Tootsie Rolls, he accused his partner, 49-year-old Maria Adams, of stealing them from him. As a way of response to the accusation, she threw a plate at his head. He then picked up a knife and repeatedly stabbed her. She died in hospital and her killer got 30 years. And that was all over some sweets on Halloween night in 2011. So that's why I wanted to share that with you because it's just crazy. I know it's a true crime podcast and all of these things are awful, but it's just over sweets. Anyway, that's all I have, everybody. So <laughs> no, you've got more. What was your? No, next one? I'm not going to bore you. It was just another one about a guy who tried to line his kid's sweets, and because he wanted him dead. Um, what? Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, you'll never know until next Halloween. Have a great time, everybody. <laughs>